book of Jude, and uh, bless you, Carver, man, I'm going to tell you what, I threw him a curveball last minute, that was, that, was like, that was like a sinker, that wasn't even a curveball, that was a junk pitch, but um, this morning he got me up and running, so I appreciate that, brother. Uh, we are in the book of Jude, back in the book of Jude, kicking off our new summer schedule, and it doesn't look like it affected us too, too much. This is awesome. It's not even 11 yet. Hey, I'm going to make a prediction. I will get you out of here earlier than Pastor Nate got you out of here last week. Because, see, he probably finished at 12, and <laughs> i got an hour and five minutes before we get there. <laughs> so, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, baby, be careful of what I predict, right? <laughs> That's right. No wages on the side this morning. <laughs> okay, well, then we better dive in and see what's happening. Uh, you, hopefully you've still got your little insert sheet. I didn't run off any more copies, but if you've got that from the last time, a few weeks back when we were in the book of Jude, you can begin to fill in those blanks again, and uh, we'll kind of walk through that in just a little bit. Uh, but let's go ahead and turn our attention this morning to the reading of God's Word and see what is in the book of Jude. And we're just going to go ahead and read the thing in its entirety. It's a short one-chapter uh, letter, and I think we can make our way through that. And uh, though we won't finish it this morning, we'll at least get, hopefully, part one finished. Jude 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, rejecting authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these... Speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, having run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, 
while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They're clouds without water, cared about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ? How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts? These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, have compassion, making a distinction. But others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Father, I pray this morning that you would give me recall, that you would give me insight into your holy word. And Lord, I pray for the listener this morning that our ears would be open to hear from you. Let us hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Lord, let us see in your word your truth. Illuminate to our heart and mind. Give us understanding of your word. And Lord, that we would not just hear it, but I desperately plead, Lord, let us heed it. Let us be transformed. Let us lay down today at the altar the things that, uh, sins that are so easily tripping us. Lord, it's entangling us. It's, it's trying to pull us down into the, into the sin of the world. And yet we're more than conquerors through Christ. And so, Lord, give us that victory even this day over the power of sin. Let us lay down that at the altar. And may we go out of here transformed and changed than how we came in. Lord, we will give you the praise because you alone are worthy and you alone can do this. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Jude. And uh, if you'll remember last time, I'll kind of go through some of these first parts quickly. Uh, we had looked at the outline. We talked about the called. Uh, and in the beginning, Jude starts off, and that's important, guys. It's important that when you're reading this, you understand who's he talking to. He's talking to you. He's talking to the called. 
If you're going to face circumstances of life, you need to start with, number one, knowing who you are. Your identity is everything to how you live your life. If you think you're a loser, you're going to act like a loser, right? You know, a lot of times people grow up and they're told things, they're beat down verbally. You'll never amount to anything. You're good for nothing. Guess what? That gets in you. You think that's your identity. That's a lie. And Satan throws lies at you from the beginning, the moment that you come out of the womb to the, all the way to the tomb. You are constantly being told lies from the world. Whether it's Oprah or Dr. Phil trying to feed you with the, you know, you're good. And that's Smalley, isn't it? You're good enough. And look, anyway, you know, the, these, this idea that somehow your self-worth is within you, no. No, there's, there's nothing intrinsic within you apart from Christ. Paul said, if there's anything good in me, it's Christ in me. So, so don't buy into the self-help programs that tells you those lies. The only way that you understand who you are is when you understand who you are in Christ Jesus. That's when the Bible says you're beloved. That's when the Bible says you're accepted. Apart from that, the Bible says you're an enemy of God. So if you really want to buy some self-improvement books, they need to be saying things like... You're an enemy of God. God hates you and your sin. <gasps> that's very anti-message of even the church today, isn't it? But guys, that's what the Bible says. Read it. Don't take my word for it. Read it. How does God see you in your natural state? We're fallen. We're deprived. Our imagination is wicked. We come up with some pretty sick things. Just turn on the TV. That's the natural man. But this is not being written to natural man. This is being written to believers. This is being written to those who are called out. And the Bible says about those who are called out that you're children of God. You're a holy nation. A holy, holy nation. We're ambassadors of Christ. Therefore, if the nation we're representing is holy, how should we then live? You're daughters of the king. Your princes and princesses. You'll one day judge angels. Guys, do you know who you are in Christ Jesus? You're the called. And so, out of the gate, Jude comes with who you are. Because if you're going to understand life, you better understand life from who you are. According to thus saith the Lord. That's how we understand our true identity. We see the contenders. Now entering the ring. Here comes... Anyway, these are the enemies. These are those marked out for destruction. And we talked about these guys. These are these men who, remember, creep in underwear in their underwear? I mean, unnoticed, unaware. Might as well be. They're in their shame, right? And that's what he's talking about here. Jude starts off in the beginning of this letter saying, look, I'm going to warn you. It's interesting because we're going to, as we go through this and you get into your small groups, by the way, come back tonight. Tonight, tonight, tonight. We're going to have dip night, all right? Dip night, man. I'm telling you, I like me some dip. You like some dip. I know you do. I've tasted your recipes. Some of y'all got some crazy mad dip. Right, Aiden? I hope you're making yours. All right. So, guys, we're going to bring that dip in here tonight. We're going to have some foods and fellowship. Summer's here. Care groups, get plugged in. I'm going to announce whose care group you're in tonight. By the way, if you don't like the care group you're in, go to another one. Just go to one. It doesn't bother me. Just go to one. All right? So, anyway. That's tonight. We're going to get into, as we go through the summer, 2 Peter. Because 2 Peter, especially chapter 2, if you want to understand Jude, read 2 Peter chapter 2. 
It's going to get more. It's almost a parallel writing. Jude comes a little after. 2 Peter's written first. Jude's writing later. Uh, to quote MacArthur, he says, Hey, 2 Peter is saying, Be warned, these guys are coming. They're going to come into the sheepfold. They're going to come into the church. Jude's saying, Bo, they're already here. They're here now. So that's the difference here. Look, he says these contenders, these guys are going to come in, they're going to creep in unnoticed. And, he's going to get, and that's pretty much what the whole book of Jude is about. He starts off by saying this. He says, look, I was going to, I was going to write to you called out once. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied because we still need that even as believers. But he found it necessary instead to change gears on you. He found it necessary instead of writing to you to tell you about your common faith and build you up. He said, look, man, I, I got a, there's urgent, urgent, this just in, breaking news. Um, you got some false teachers coming in. You got some people creeping in who are spreading heresy, and you need to be aware of it. That's how serious that it was. And so we look at the cursed, and that's what we're going to look at today. And as we finish out through this study, uh, there are those who have been marked out for the day of destruction. That's kind of crazy to think about, isn't it? Well, we're going to unpack that as we go through this study. And hopefully will be some good discussion as we, as we go through this. Again, we talked about the call. We talked about how Jude's a half-brother. He comes out of the gate. Not, not, he could have said, hey, I'm Jesus' half-brother. He didn't do that. Again, he shows humility. Okay? Even though he was Jesus' half-brother, he started off by recognizing Christ as his Lord. More importantly, he said, I'm a bondservant. I'm a bondservant. So just because you're a child of the king, don't gloat in that. You know, don't be taking on this pious role. He didn't. We don't need to either. But we need to understand who we are in Christ so that we might live out effective lives in humility. Holy believers, we talked about this. We talked about the happily blessed, verse 2. Again, this is all old information. Go back and listen to it. I don't want to rehash it even though i got extra time this morning. <laughs> uh, the contenders, verse 3. Earnestly, they contend earnestly for the faith delivered to the saints. By the way, if you're going to mark a theme, if you want to get something out of Jude, yes, God bless. Listen, this is what we're getting out of Jude. Here's your blessing out of Jude. Contend earnestly for the faith. Guys, if you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, you get eat alive. We're called to study to show ourselves approved. This is why... This is why this is important stuff, guys. This is eternal. This is, <laughs> look, you, you, I, I'll give you my, my teacher. I got to brag on him this past week. I had a, had a teacher this past week. Doc, Dr. Carver was showing me how to, how to make straight line cuts and how to do measurements and put in my subfloor. And, and I was learning this week. I was like, you know, you know the student. He was like, yes, grasshopper. And so, <laughs> I, I mean, so I was learning some stuff, man. I, I, was, I was learning some things. Let me just tell you, uh, what was it said? Never, never trust a, 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 a woodshop teacher who has, more, has all his fingers, something like that? Yeah. Um, it's Gerald does. Gerald's waving at me right now. So, <laughs> thank you, Gerald. I appreciate that sense of humor. If I had Miss Pat here, she'd back you up, brother. I know. I love Miss Pat, Miss Miss Pat. But look, guys, that's important. I don't look. I'm working around some power tools. Some of you guys know, all right? You got to know what you're doing, right? You better, better know what you're doing. When we're handling the Word of God, how much more be we better know what we're doing? 
Now, don't let that scare you to not want to learn the Word of God. We are called to learn the Word of God. In fact, it's your sustenance. It's your spiritual uh, uh, nutrients. I mean, you're not... I can look around and you can look at me. We don't miss many meals, guys. All right? We don't miss many meals here in America. How much more important is it that we feed on this Word? That we understand this and we know what we're doing. And so if we're going to contend for the faith... We need to know what we're doing. And we offer you that here at Community. Come to what's offered and provided. You will grow in your understanding. You will learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. So, uh, we're also looking at exposing the false, uh, denying the Savior. Again, that, they, de- they deny the very power of Christ uh, with their mouth also claiming the name of Christ, which is crazy. Uh, but Jesus said, and many will come to him in that day and say, Lord, Lord. So they knew his name. Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do miracles? Did we not do all these wonderful things in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. So we want to understand who these false teachers are. And we talked about how they creep in unnoticed. They crept in. They, they were, they're condemned. We talked about how they're ungodly. We talked about their lewdness. And one of the things that is a marking of them, one of their characteristics is immorality, displaying lust. And then we talked about their lifestyle and how their lifestyle is indignant. It's denying lordship. There's a lot of people in America that claim the name of Jesus Christ. A lot of people. A lot of cults. A lot of isms. Jehovah's Witnesses claim the name of Christ. Mormons claim the name of Christ. Even Islam will say, hey, Jesus was a prophet. There are a lot of people who name the name of Christ. There are a lot of churches. Last count, I hadn't counted in a long time, but at one time I think I counted 27 churches in LaGrange, seven-mile radius. That's crazy. It's like 2,500 in population in the town. If everybody went to church, this is about as full as they could ever get. But just because people name the name of Christ doesn't mean they know the Christ of Scripture. And if in Jude's day these people were creeping in unaware, and John, 1 John, he goes on later and says, they went out from among us because they never were of us. The ism split happened way back when, and it's done nothing but branch and split ever since. But God always has a remnant. And so we need to make sure that what we believe lines up with the authority of Scripture. One of the things that's a clear marking of a follower of Jesus Christ is they follow Christ. Christ is not just fire insurance. If your understanding of salvation is just fire insurance, you better examine yourself to see if you are even in the faith. Jesus doesn't want to be just your fire insurance. He wants to be your Lord. Jude, a bondservant. A slave, doulos. I'll never forget sharing a gospel witness with, with a young man, black gentleman, one time. And, and uh, this guy was probably 17, 18 years of age, and I was witnessing to him. And I was just sharing and, and pleading with him. And I gave him the, the illustration through the way of the master on, imagine you're standing before a judge, and, and, and the judge is getting ready to pass sentence on you. And you admit, yes, I've done this, just like we had done, walked him through the steps. You know, have you ever lied? Yes. Have you ever stolen? Yes. Have you ever committed adultery looking with lust in your heart? Yes. Then you're guilty. 
And that's the way God sees you. He sees you as guilty. We've all transgressed. We've all broken God's law. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so if you're standing before God one day and He says, How do you plead? You've acknowledged you're guilty. But imagine you're down at the Rowan County Courthouse, and that's where we were at the time. Not at the courthouse, but in Rowan County. And you're down there in front of the judge. And you've ran over that sweet lady delivering cookies to the neighbor. She's dead now, thanks to your driving. Don't text and drive. Now, he didn't really run over the lady with cookies. This was an illustration. I can't believe that's a terrible story. Okay, this is just, follow me, please stay with me. And she's dead. Now you're going to be facing life in prison or you've got this fine that's like a million bucks, 10 million bucks. I don't know, put the number on it if you want. It's astronomical. You can't pay it. What's going to happen? Dude, I'm going, he said, I'm, dude, I'm going to jail. I'm going to jail for life. I said, yeah. But imagine in that moment, the judge takes his robe, sets it aside, comes down, stands in your place, writes a check on your behalf. And offers you that. Now you can either accept it or reject it. If you reject it, you're going to jail for life. You've already said that. But if you receive it on your behalf as payment for you, you would be set free. That judge can come back up to his judge seat and he can now declare you free to go. Because the fine has been paid in full. And you can see the light bulb kind of starting to come on. And then when it said, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you over 2,000 years ago. You owed a debt. You could not pay it. You couldn't. There's no way you're going to pay it. But Jesus Christ paid it in full in His blood on the cross. You who sinned. Him who knew no sin but became sin for you. He took your punishment and delivered you. You're free to go if you're willing to repent of your sin and by faith put your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. I said, what would you do if a judge did that? Never forget it. This young black man says, just as honest and as, 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 as responsive as he could be, he said, man, I'd be that man's slave the rest of my life. <laughs> I said, exactly. Exactly. I'd be his slave the rest of my life. Guys, Jesus Christ wants you to be his slave. A slave of righteousness. That's not a term. The world has put lies on that term. Guys, you, I got news flash. You are a slave. You're either a slave to sin that leads to death. Or you're either a slave to righteousness of Jesus Christ through his purchase redemption that leads to life. And life abundantly. He got it. Jude wants us to get it. He wants us to understand these false teachers so we can expose their lies, so that we can see the truth, that we can understand it. So what about the curse? What about these folks? Well, let's pick up here in our study this morning as we continue on. He gave us three examples. We kind of hashed this in a little bit. I want to kind of go back over this because this is a good starting point. But I'm going to go ahead and put those up there for you uh, this morning. Looking at uh, the three types uh, of people that, that we find. He gives us three examples. Notice if you would here in verse 5. But I wanted to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt... See, he's, he's writing to people who's got some background knowledge. He's saying, look, man, let me tell you, they knew the Old Testament. 
You once knew this, the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And that was the first example. Uh, these, these were people, you remember, they, led, they were led out, the, the Red Sea parted, Moses is going to get the law to bring it back, debauchery breaks loose, immorality. They, I mean, they've just seen miracles like you could not imagine. And now they're taking all their gold earrings and, and, and melting them down and, and making a false idol and, and worshiping a false idol. And the, 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 the event that was taking place was that of, of a sensual sense. And that's again one of the things that you're going to see as we go through here. There's a clear marking. It's very fleshly oriented worship. False teachers will always lead you in a sensual, a sensory enlightenment. There's always this sensual, it's an appeal to the fleshly side of things. And, and, and I'm a firm believer, a guy who's come out of the world into the church, that one of the greatest deceptions that Satan can do is, is to appeal to that flesh because there are certain things that God has gifted man, we'll put it this way since there's children in the room, that are the closest in ecstasy that you can experience this side of glory that's a gift from God. Follow me? It's enough said? All right. But Satan uses that sensory perception and tries to incorporate a level of that within worship. And so, it's not surprising to me that a lot of mainstream Christianity that we find today appeals to the flesh. David Platt made a statement, I said it last time. The fear of the day in which we live is that man worships worship. And that's a very scary thing because once that's found its way into the church and it found its way into the church back in Jude today and it's very, very, very present in the American church today that we'll go and we'll spend countless hours in states of emotional, sensory, that we will be in a euphoric. I love Jesus. Now listen, don't get, don't get me wrong. There's a fine line here. And that's, that's, the, that's the tactic of the enemy. He wants to get to, there's a fine line here. But often I wonder if the worship experience is simply because self loves the experience. Self loves the euphoria. Self loves to be in this state of mind. Guys, anybody who's ever had drug use in their past, you didn't set out to say, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to be a drunk one day and lay in the ditch downtown. That's what I want to do when I grow up. No. It has a way of luring you in. There's a euphoric that kind of just... I, I think you've ever seen the cartoon where there's, there's like somebody's making some fresh apple pies and the guy's just like twinkle toes, mm -hmm, smelling you. And that's kind of how it just sort of lures you along. Anyway, sorry. And we follow that. And so I, 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 I'm afraid that what Jude is warning us of here is something that we're seeing every single day and going on right now in many churches across the world. There's a euphoric working up of, and it's a counterfeit. It's not the Spirit of God. 
It's a fleshly, sensual leading. Now, I'm not against emotion. God has given us emotion. But this is our final authority in all things pertaining to life and to godliness. And so we need to be careful. We need to filter everything that we're doing to the glory of God through the Word of God. And so Jude is reminding them of the Word of God. And he says to them, you remember those who came out of Egypt? Remember what happened to the ones who wanted to have self indulgence, self-worship. They wanted to create a God that suited them. We have people today creating Jesus in their image. Many of us do not want to allow Jesus to be Lord of our life in certain areas because we want to be Lord of our life in that area. It's just being real. Let me ask you, church... What area in your life right now, it's not confession hour, I don't need anybody coming up and getting, well, Pastor, I'm glad you asked. Uh, actually, I've been struggling with pornography and I'm really an alcoholic. I don't need confession hour down here in front, in front of everybody. Now, if you want to come talk to me, my door's open. I would love, and you cannot tell me anything that's going to shock me. God has given me in your life to guide you through the counsel of God's Word. My door is open. Share your burdens. Confess your sins one, one to another that you may bear one another's burdens. That's what Scripture says. We're not throwing rocks at people because you're struggling in your sin. That's not what the true biblical church does. It's not what a real brother or sister in Christ does. Oh, I can't believe you did that. Get out of my house. No, we don't do that, ladies. I know you don't do that. No. <laughs> no. We come alongside, paraclete, it's not a paraclete's shoes, it's the Holy Spirit, it's a Greek term that means to come alongside. You, the Holy Spirit wants us to, as believers to come alongside another believer and help them and encourage them. And so if you're struggling with whatever sin that's tripping you up, talk to somebody who loves God, who loves you, and open up, be transparent, share it, man. Get it out there, confess it, forsake it, turn from it. We have to. God's not wanting us to just have Him as fire insurance. So what is the area in your life? What is it you need to lay down at the altar? What is it you're struggling with? Confess it. Ask Christ to be Lord of your life in that area. And surrender. Just surrender. That's the, that's the easiest word, that's the easiest answer I can give you, but it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. I give up. I give up. Many of you have heard this story. I'll say it again. Like most of my stuff, I repeat. It's 10 years. What do you expect, guys? And then, okay, I need a getaway if you want new material. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but those of you who have brothers, I, I can't help but think of the uh, Harold boys. We'll throw Bryce in there too because he fights with them as well, I'm sure, growing up. Look, those of you who had brothers growing up, man, you know what it was, you know what it was like to th throw down, right? I mean, that's just part of growing up. You wrestled, you fought, man, you know. You'd run and tell mom when you were young, hey, you hit me. You know, well, that was my brother. I'm just kidding. <laughs> my brother was older. I was usually on that side of things until one day it turned. 
<laughs> anyway, he's probably watching now. He remembers. Anyway, look, I do remember this, though. Growing up and fighting, we said, the way in my house we would fight is that you would try to get the other one to, to relent, to say uncle or, or I give up or mercy or whatever, you know, whatever your term was. I don't know what y'all's term was, but that, you, know, you kind of had a, a, you know, nowadays the tap out, you know, you know tap out. You know, so. Back then, we would, if you could get, the, get your brother's shoulders pinned down, all right, flat down, you had to tap. That was it. I give up. And I remember, man, me and my brother, we'd, we'd, man, we'd have some knockdowns around the house there, you know, especially when we were younger, just, just wrestling it out, fighting it out. And, and I'll never forget, though, when I was little, man, he was so much bigger when I was, and it was just, without fail, he would always pin down. And I hated those little knobby knees right in my shoulder. Like, oh, okay, I, I give up. I surrender. I quit. I give up. And then he'd get up. He'd let me up. But you know, when I got older, God brought that to remembrance. See, I was fighting with God. All my life, I was fighting with God. I was trying to win. I was trying to do it my way. I was trying to be on top. I was trying to be the guy who was the master of his ship. And finally, God pinned me down, and I said, Uncle, I quit. I give up. No more. I surrender. Let me tell you, you don't want to be in that position. Trust me. You never want to be pinned down by God. Because even in God's miraculous grace, I didn't even get an ounce of the level of judgment that, that should have been coming my way. But it always reminds me, guys, of surrender. Spiritually speaking, God just wants you to give up this morning. So whatever your struggle is, know you're beat, all right? You're never going to win in a wrestling match against God. Ask Jacob. Just saying. Well, he did, but then he got his hip broke, right? Anyway, I think God gave him that one. What do you say? Back to Jude. So here's what's happening. He's trying to point out the curse here. He's trying to point out these false uh, teachers. He's giving us some markings of them. So he says, look, you remember the people that came out of Egypt? And then he talked about those angels. The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He's reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. I think we told you about this. These are these guys that, that left, they got kicked out of heaven, right? Fallen angels, we call them demons. They possess the men of the day. And then those men of the day cohabited with women. They had offspring, giants. And then shortly thereafter, the world gets destroyed. Those guys, 2 Peter... Revelation talks about it. They're being kept in chains and darkness. Those fallen angels, those demonic angels. For judgment. It's in the scriptures, man. It's crazy cool stories. You need to read them. It's in the Bible. But again, what was a marking? Rebellion and sexual. Perverseness. These are clear markings that you'll find in these cursed. He goes on, he says... He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Sodom and Gomorrah. He gives another example. So he's given three examples here from Scripture. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual sexuality, sexual immorality. So see, again, what's the marking of these false teachers? Given over to sexual immorality. If sexual immorality is a marking of your life, hear me. It's demonic. It's outside of the bounds of holy matrimony. 
Can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? It's dangerous. It's deadly. It's demonic. Sodom and Gomorrah is an example. They've gone after strange flesh, homosexuality, bestiality. Guys, newsflash, sickening stuff is happening in our world. Scripture condemns it. Don't let the world feed you lies that somehow it's okay. God has never said it's okay. I don't care what your emotions lead you to believe. I don't, it, I'm sorry that you have a family member who you love dearly who's caught up in it. Well, if you love them enough, then love them enough to share the truth. But do so, please, with gentleness and meekness. Please do so, not in a condemning and damning spirit. It's not the way to reach. Yes, in here amongst believers we speak loud and clear because it is sin for the sake of our own children who may be having a sin slant in a direction that, that may be a slippery slope. If God would have mercy and grace to, to help them hear and heed this so that they wouldn't go down that road. But let's be real clear. These are people created in the image of God and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ so that their life can be transformed, so they can have a new path. Sodom and Gomorrah is the example he gave. They've gone after strange flesh, set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. How did that end? I fear the same will be the fate of America if she does not turn. Guys, Sodom and Gomorrah is a muck and alive in this nation today. And we're deceiving ourselves. Yes, we can look at the bright spots. And yes, we should encourage ourselves with the things that God is doing. God is always doing something. He was doing something in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah. But our nation is sin sick. And church, it's on our watch. Because we've fallen asleep. Blind man's blind. He doesn't see. We see. And we're doing nothing to the level that we could as a church body. And I'm not speaking just community. I'm speaking the church as a whole, universally. The power of prayer. The power of a transformed life. God, help us to be that. Help me to be that. So he says, likewise, here's the curse. So he's given us these examples, and then he says, likewise, these are dreamers. They defile the flesh. Here's three ways. They defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they speak evil of dignitaries. So they defile the flesh. Uh, again, uh, the, the markings that, that we find here in this uh, passage of Scripture. Immorality. They're immoral. They reject authority. Insubordination. Insubordinate. And they speak evil of dignitaries. That word is glories. It means angels. They're irreverent. Uh, I, I want us to, to really dig in here just a second. Notice how he gives us this example. And this is kind of where we left, I think, last time. Yet Michael the archangel, verse 9, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil... When he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. 
but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. What's going on here? Well, I, I want us to really highlight this section of uh, angelic beings. Notice there in verse 9 and 10. Why does Jude give us this example? He's saying, look, you're speaking evil against angelic beings. What does he mean by that? Speaking evil of, of, of um, glories, the angelic realm. And then to illustrate it, he gives us an example from the angelic realm. Guys, did you know that it's the angelic realm that it was present in the delivering of the, of the very law of Moses, the very word of God? Angels are ministers directly from the throne room of God. They've seen the face of God. No man has seen the face of God, but the angelic being has been in the very presence of God. And Michael, the archangel, is the archangel. He's the most powerful. Satan was and Satan fell. And it's interesting because here Jude quotes from the book of Enoch. Now Enoch's not in your Bible here. The assumptions of Moses is not uh, in the scriptures here. Check an Apocrypha. So why does he quote from an extra-biblical source? Again, I believe these writers he was writing to, they understood and knew these writings. The story, I think we can say, can be credited as true. Jude included it in this inspired scripture. But that doesn't mean we must take the whole book of Enoch as being inspired. But the story, no doubt, is true. And so he shares this as an illustration because he knew they would be very familiar with this story. And he wants them to understand this point about these false teachers. Let me read to you real quick some notes from MacArthur on this passage. The New Testament in the 7th chapter of Acts were given even greater insight into this in the sermon preached by Stephen. Think about Stephen's story. If you go, if you want, and you're free to turn there if you want, but in, in, in Acts uh, chapter 7, verse 53, Stephen says, You who received the law as ordained by angels, and yet did not keep it. Now remember, he's talking to the Jewish audience. They had the very oracles of God. They were given the word of God, the law of God. He's saying there in that passage, it was delivered by angelic beings. They were present at that time. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now what we learn from all these passages is that in some fashion, in some way, the angels played a very special role in the dispensing of the law of God at Sinai. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 says this. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels. Isn't that interesting? I didn't, it never really dawned on me until I studied this. That's the case. It's in Scripture. 
Why the, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels. I don't know if you ever thought about the law that way, but the angels played a very, very particular role in the giving and ordaining of the law of God and again. And finally in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We just went through this one recently. Here's a warning against apostasy. Pay close attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Hebrews 2, 1. Then verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And he's referring there to the law. And again he says the law was spoken through angels. Angels then have a special role in the moral order in the world. And we see in Isaiah 6 the angels saying, Holy Holy, holy, immoral people then who rebel against divine lordship, immoral people who defile the flesh by their corruption, also then blaspheme the holy angels who had a special guardianship over the law. And so whether they recognize it or not, apostates in their immorality and in their insubordination blaspheme not only God, blaspheme not only Christ, blaspheme not only the Holy Spirit, but they blaspheme holy angels as well as the one the angels serve. MacArthur. And so that's why Jude gives us this story. Here's what he's saying. Newsflash! Think about these teachers today. I bind you, Satan! Get out of here! And there's all you know, crazy you know, shenanigans. Whoa, 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 whoa. You better watch what ground you tread on, mister. The very captain of all the angels dared not even rail an accusation against Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Who are you to speak to the angelic realm? Yet these blasphemous men of God try to tell demonic realms what they can do and what they cannot do. Guys, that's a very scary, scary thing. You better be real careful if you're following or listening to people who, who use that kind of language and go down that kind of road because Jude gives us the example. He says, look, these are, these are dreamers. These, they, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they speak evil of these, these, these glories, these angels. They, they put upon them things that, that they need not put upon them. They, they ask, I mean, it's, it's very scary when you see yet Michael the archangel contending with the devil. By the way, we don't know why he was contending? Why, why are they fighting over the body of Moses? Moses is dead. You can find this story at the end of Deuteronomy. Why are they fighting over the dead body of Moses? Now, speculation, most would say they believe it was because had they found the body, people would be worshiping it. You know, Catholic Church is that way today, right? Find an artifact, everybody's going to flock to it. Toast, piece of toast bread. Carver, you got new toast bread and you new toaster? If you get it look like Mother Mary, they'll be showing up at your house in droves. Worshiping your toast. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm not trying to be ugly, but that's kind of probably what would have happened. They'd had the body of Moses. No doubt they would have turned idolatrous. Just, just a theory. We don't know, though. Scripture doesn't tell us for sure. 
We don't know. And so, he brings no accusation against Satan. But instead says, the Lord rebuke you. But these, verse 10, speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally. Now here's the kicker, here's the kicker, follow it. Whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in these things they corrupt themselves. There's that sensual again. They're dreamers. God gave me a vision. God told me you need to quit your job. Did God tell him to tell you that? I'd be really, anybody that comes, out of, that comes out of their mouth, God told me, I'd be real careful, just saying. Well, pastor, God speaks to me. I, I understand that, I understand, but He speaks to you through His Word. And He never leads you contrary to the Word. We don't need new revelation. That's the point I'm making. We don't need new revelation. Everything I need for life and godliness is right here. That's all I need. And we've got a lot of people that fit the descriptions of what Jude is warning us about, filling pulpits all across America today. And you're watching them on TV, you're putting up their posts on your Facebook feeds, and guys, I am concerned for the sheep. Because Jude says you need to contend for the faith. You need to rightly divide the word of truth and not be seduced by it. In the last day, many will fall heed to seducing spirits. Women will be taken and led astray. It says that. Don't, don't be mad at me. I ain't being sexist. Why? Because I believe, again, women, you have, a, you have a side of you that us men do not understand, and that's why we need you. You're, you're a little more emotional in being. Now, it's not always the case, but I'm talking general terms. Okay? I, I would name some, I have a couple coming to mind right now, I won't name them. They got the opposite dose, you know. It's like the dad's the emotional one, and the mom is, is the strong, logical. But anyway, it happens. But I'm saying, Scripture, Scripture says, Eve was first deceived, then Adam. Adam's even worse, because he knew it like a bonehead and did it anyway. I'm just saying. Well, let's wrap this up, this section, and we'll stop, stop here. Let's tie this up in a nice bow. These people, these who are cursed, they do what they do sensually, naturally. They corrupt themselves. And we're going to look at next time how they've gone in the way of Cain, how they ran in the air of Balaam. And they perished in the rebellion of Korah. What are those things? Again, Jude is using Scripture to make his argument. Church, if you're going to defend the faith, you need to understand the faith. Once and all to deliver to the saints. It's not changing. It doesn't need to change. It's an anchor. It's the, it's the foundation you and I need to stand on. So I want you to be encouraged today with the truth of God's Word. Because if God's for you, who can be against you? If you are one of the called ones, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, remember how He began this letter, and it's the same way He will end this letter. Preserved in Jesus Christ. Preserved in Jesus Christ. If God has you, no one can separate you from the love of God. Not even a false heretical teacher 
hold strong to Christ because he's holding strong to you. And nothing can separate that bond. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We'll continue to unpack Jude. I know we didn't make it very far uh, this morning, but Lord, it needed to, to just rehash some things, get it fresh back in our heart and spirit again to understand the importance of recognizing false teachers when we see it. They're sensual in nature. They're, they're self-serving. Uh, they're always the focus in uh, things such as send me your money, sow a seed. Uh, they tend to, to act as if they're the only ones who, who have the power of God in their life. Lord, I recognize as a pastor myself that uh, I am a man just like everyone here. I also recognize that your word warns me that with my teaching comes double judgment. Lord, protect me in my study. Protect me in my thought life, in my life and lifestyle as a whole. That I will honor you because, Lord, I want to lead people to you. To know you. To know your truth. Because it's your truth that sets us free. It's Jesus Christ who needs to be made much of. So Lord, protect our way. Guard our paths. And each person here, Lord, I ask and pray for them, their soul, their family. Let the men of the house be the priest that you've called them to be. To be the leaders in their homes. To protect and provide, uh, Lord, as they lead their families. Uh, Lord, that you would just guide their hearts in spiritual matters. And Lord, that the, the women of the home, that they would love you, love your truth, and that they would be set apart for your work. You've told us that in Christ Jesus, we are workmanship, created unto good works. And so Lord, let us live out our calling that we will be the people of Christ and that we'll be protected from the way of error because we know the word of faith. And we contend for it. I ask your blessing as we go. And I ask that you'll bring us back safe tonight as we have our care groups. And Lord, I ask that you'll just bless that time of fellowship. And we thank you for allowing us to be here today. And we give you the praise and the worship. And we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.